We're so thankful for our community of supporters that makes Justice Special possible. This season of Justice Special is brought to you by Kids Crossing, a private foster care agency created by foster parents for foster parents. So Rachel, I've mentioned before on our podcast what an amazing support our home coordinator, Nicole Barnett, has been to my family on our foster care journey. Yes, tell us a little bit more. What does that look like for you all? Well, Nicole and I actually got the chance to sit down and chat about her role. So I'll let you hear from Nicole herself. So my role as a home coordinator, it can be so many things. I wear many hats. Part of my job is to make sure that the foster parents are following state and county rules, also to be a support. So be that shoulder to cry on, be the sounding board when foster care gets really rough, which it does, um, when the kids are making me crazy, or even just be there to encourage and support in whatever way I can, letting you know you guys are doing an amazing job. Filing all the fun paperwork, keeping files on the kids, finding those resources for kids when they need certain and specific things, whether it's therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, and extracurriculars too. That's important as a kid to have sports to play or gymnastics or arts and crafts, things like that. I think the big thing that resonates with me is So our founder, Jan, something her and her husband would say was, keep your eye on the child if everything else will fall into place. And that is kind of how I see my role is you as the foster parent, keep your eye on the kid and I will make sure everything else is covered. It's great to hear that we have people like Nicole supporting kids in care and their families. I couldn't agree more with you. And Nicole has even physically shown up at our home during difficult times. And she's just been an incredible support. Kids Crossing has four locations across Colorado and Denver, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, and La Junta. Learn more at kidscrossing.com and tell them just a special sent you. This episode is supported by Christina Whiteley, realtor with Fabulous Homes Colorado, powered by Keller Williams Freedom. So Rachel, I can tell you from personal experience that home buying can be really stressful and you really want to make sure you're in the right hands. Tell me about Fabulous Homes Colorado, Natasha. So Fabulous Homes Colorado offers no-pressure home buying, and they also specialize in serving veterans and first-time home buyers in El Paso County, Woodland Park, and Pueblo in beautiful Colorado. And they also offer video tours so you can buy remotely. So if you want a realtor that truly values relationships over transactions, give Christina a call at 719-310-4347 and tell her that Just a Special sent you. You can learn more about Christina and Fabulous Homes Colorado on our website, justaspecial.com. Each office is independently owned and operated. I've seen lots of families that end up thriving because they're together, regardless of where they're at. If there is the opportunity for love and safety, emotional safety, the physical environment can look a lot of different ways. And and they can look in ways that rub up against my privileged white suburban narrative. And that's part of what I've loved about foster care is it helps me to see life from different perspectives. And um, it expands my worldview in really beautiful ways. The ways that I feel like life should look in this little box that equals happiness and security and safety, things that I think we want as humans. It's just been like blown to smithereens as I watch these families come together and thrive together. 
Welcome to Just as Special, the place to learn more about foster care from diverse perspectives. I'm Natasha, a foster mom. And I'm Rachel, a mentor to kids in foster care. Today's episode is all about navigating through the messiness of foster care. And Rachel, you know how messy it can get because you get all my frustrated phone calls. Yeah, depending on whatever season you're in, it's a lot or a little. (laughs) That's true. Thanks for taking all my calls most of the time. So Natasha, who are we interviewing today? So today we're going to be talking with longtime foster mom and foster parent trainer, Kaleo George. And I actually first met Cleo when my partner and I were becoming licensed foster care parents in a foster parenting class that she was helping lead. So what stuck out to you about Cleo and why did you want to interview her today? Well, as soon as I met her, I knew I wanted her to be on this podcast, even though we hadn't officially started it yet. She just had such an immense warmth and honesty about her that I just knew I wanted to sit down with her and pick her brain. And I'm so glad I did. And what really struck me about Cleo and I's conversation was that she has a we're all in this together mentality when it comes to how she interacts with kids in foster care and their biological parents and family members. And this seems to me to be in part because she personally knows what it means to long to belong. I I never met my biological father, actually. Um, I I just was reunited um, with him for my 40th birthday. I did a DNA test and found my biological father. But I've lived my entire life wondering who he was. Where do I come from? Where do I belong? And the reality is, if I had the choice, I I would have chosen to be with my biological family. Even at 18, when I moved out, I, I wish, right, the longing of my heart was to be with my family. That's who knows us. And Kaleo has another personal intersection with foster care and that she needed people to open their homes to her when she was a teenager. I have an interesting connection with foster care. Um, it's, It's indirect, but my mom had me really early at 15 years old and then married somebody that adopted me when I was five. My uh, adopted father, um, was uh, a part of some like motorcycle gangs and we were just around a lot of really interesting people growing up whether that be uh, other children or homeless people that my dad had picked up on the side of the street and um, I would say that really shaped me growing up it was not uncommon for us to just have all kinds of different people around us life was pretty chaotic for me as a child And um, as a result of that, I moved out of my house when I turned 18. I hadn't even graduated high school yet and really relied on some friends and then my friend's parents to help care for me during that time. Um, So in kind of an interesting combination of like I wasn't officially in foster care, but I really needed somebody else to help me out. Thinking about it as an adult now and recognizing like I was homeless at 18 years old, just some really interesting intersections within foster care and homelessness and the need for other people to step into my life when I really needed them. So did you start foster parenting before you had kids or after you had kids? My husband and I had a hard time um, getting pregnant when we started to think about growing our family. Um, And we had talked about adoption or foster care early on, um, largely because of my own upbringing. Um, And I really had a heart for that. And we started the process after not being able to get pregnant ourselves. And then as the story goes, we 
uh, ended up getting pregnant right after we did our fingerprints and started classes. So we put that on hold and knew that we would revisit it, um, which we did must have been, I think it was 2013 when we became foster parents officially. But before that, we lived in a really small house and I was I just really wanted to like jump in and learn about the system and figure out what it was like for kids in foster care. Um, so I became a CASA, which is a court appointed advocate for kids in care. And um, I did that for several years while we were kind of waiting for the right time to jump into foster care. Um, and that was an amazing experience. We ended up fostering one of the girls that I was um, an advocate for. She came to live with us and we still have contact with her pretty regularly right now. Yeah. And that's something I really suggest to people too, for all of our listeners is a lot of times when you first hear about foster care or want to get involved, it might not be the right time for you, like you're saying, but there is always a way to get involved, you know, whether that's volunteering or just discovering and, and learning. Um, can you tell us a little more about that placement? Cause I know that was something that was really a turning point for you, right? In your foster care journey. My Casa kiddo, um, I had met her when she was nine years old, and um, we began this relationship um, that uh, my poor kiddo had had been through several residential treatment centers in her time in foster care while I was her advocate, and several foster homes, and her parental rights were terminated while I was still her Casa. So we had this really unique relationship where she knew I cared about her. I had been her advocate for in care for maybe two years while when she found out that we were then going to become foster parents. And that's a that's a delicate dance to do while you're an advocate for one kiddo and then becoming a foster parent. There's all kinds of confidentiality and, you know, rules that you have to abide by. But um, after some conversation with my husband um, and my family, my kiddos, we agreed that we would go ahead and um, invite her to come live with us. I, I guess I would back up just briefly and say that when we started foster care, uh, it was really important to us that we would not be one of the quote unquote statistics of homes that kids came in and left and came in and left. I think that was one of the hardest things for me Um Early on when I thought about foster care, like all these stories of kids who've moved 10, 15, 20 times, right? And so we had a really specific goal of when we say yes to a placement, we're like going to be in it as much as possible. Um, and early on, I would have even said, we're going to be in it no matter what. I've changed on my wording on that over the years through some experience. Um, so my Casa Kiddo the kid that I advocated for came to live with us and she transitioned from a residential facility um, into our home over a period of about nine months. And then she lived with us for three months. This was a unique situation because we knew so much of her history already. And um, we knew the behaviors that she came with. And uh, we kind of felt like we were going into it eyes wide open and had really big hopes that um, this would be the place that she could come to be safe. And it just didn't really turn out that way. She lived with us for three months over a summer and then ended up being removed from our home. She experiences reactive attachment disorder. And, um, you know, with the best of intentions for foster parents that were really committed, a family that was really committed, and we love her. Uh, we really hoped it would be like a blindside, uh, you know, come in and 
We're going to rescue. We're going to like provide all the love that she needs and security. And while there was some of that, there was some really beautiful things that came with it. It ended up being a very, very challenging um, experience for me as an individual and the things that it brought up from my own history, um, as well as the experiences um, that my biological kids experienced having somebody that that um, just really struggled in our home. Mm. Yeah, that is so hard because I don't think anyone gets into it thinking, oh, a kid's going to come and they're going to leave. But like you're saying, sometimes it is necessary for the health of a family and also for the health of that kid as well who is being placed in the home. If you're comfortable, can you talk a little bit about what it brought up for you personally? I experienced a good amount of um, trauma myself, particularly uh, like explosive or violent behavior um, really made me shut down. And the everyday tension of anxiety and not knowing what the day was going to hold and was she going to fall apart that day? And would I have to have my kids go over to the neighbor's house because it wasn't safe at home? Um, it just really started to wear on us. The Really, it was like secondary trauma. And um, while that experience was really, really hard, like one of the hardest experiences in our in our marriage, My husband and I just celebrated our 20th anniversary, so we've had a lot of experiences together, and I think we'd agree that this was one of the hardest. It also brought to the surface, okay, if we're going to continue to do this work in foster care, it felt like a little bit of a fork in the road where I had the, the ability to look and say, if I'm willing to address what's happening in my own life and why I can't seem to cope with the behaviors and the challenges of this one particular kiddo. Maybe this isn't for me. Or I felt like there was an invitation to say, or you can dig into your own stuff and figure out why it's affecting you and how it's affecting you and what you experienced as an individual in your upbringing and be able to maybe move through that in a way that allows me to stay in the work. And I feel really committed to that right now. Can you talk to a little more about you said it was like very difficult on your marriage to have that placement that ended up ending after three months. And I think that's also true with foster parenting is. It really opens up not only all your own traumas, but then stuff in your relationship, like aspects of it or dynamics that you didn't even know were there, I think. Mm -hmm. Right. Or you thought were very small and then they can so easily become very large when you're constantly stressed, like you were talking about, or you're in a situation where you feel really unsure how to move forward in the best way. Man, unsure is a great word to use in foster care. (laughs) Uh, I would say that being foster parents has impacted our marriage in so many different ways, like pokes on different areas of your relationship. Our first placement was a baby that came to us um, from the hospital. She was three days old and she left nine months later on Christmas morning. And, um, Oh, man, I can't think of another time that my husband and I just looked at each other and wept out of this like very tension filled place that we were so happy that this family had been reunited. And on Christmas morning, like so beautiful. The the biological parents at that point, we had developed a really great relationship and they let her stay Christmas morning with us to do Christmas. And then we 
met up at a public place and kind of did the transfer midday. Um, and then my husband and I and our kids, we planned a road trip just to kind of like get away from the chaos of the day. And I just remember being in the car and both of us just like holding each other's hand and, and weeping. Like there aren't even words to use for that kind of loss that we knew we had signed up for. That was really beautiful. We, th- I would say that that was an experience that brought my husband and I together. But with the kiddo that I was an advocate for when she left, man, it was so intense. And we were all trying to cope with life in the best ways that we could. And we were not doing a great job at it. And so in that experience, we found that we were missing each other a lot. We were both experiencing the same thing. Um, But, you know, when I'm withdrawing and he's trying to press in and I don't want him to press in, um, or, or I, I mean, I just have this vivid memory of laying on my bathroom floor and just crying, like, what just happened? We had hoped that this would be an adoption. Uh, we wanted a long-term relationship with this kiddo. Like, I wanted to love her like my daughter. And between her trauma and my trauma, that wasn't possible at that time. And so uh, I, I just think that that experience, at least as it pertains to marriage, Um, we just had to have so much grace for each other. And like the number of times we had to overlook the quick temper or, um, you know, have so much grace when I just wanted to lay in bed for the day and he would, would support me in that. We talk in, in foster care training about, uh, identifying for new foster families to have really direct conversations about gender roles and like how your family functions. and. I I carried a lot of guilt that I just physically felt like I couldn't do normal everyday activities in that season of life. And I really needed, I needed people to show up for me. And my husband did that. And I tried to do it for him too when I could. So, um, you know, I think it has the ability. I I have friends who have um, divorced um, after becoming foster parents. Um, it's hard. It's no joke, man. And uh, it's a calling, I believe, in some ways. But uh, for us, it has made us stronger. We've been able to move through that. And we've used the weaker points to identify them and to kind of nurture them a bit. So um, we hope we can continue to do that. Thank you for sharing. You mentioned something too earlier, um, how you had said, you know, at the beginning, you were going to commit to each kid that came into your home no matter what, and then how you had to reevaluate that. Can you talk a little more about that and how you evaluate that now in terms of what's best for you and your family and the kid as well? Yeah. So I feel like this might be a little bit of a hot topic term, but the the idea of, you know, of being a savior within the foster care system, I think it's pretty common and I'm not sure it's avoidable. We came into foster care thinking we're pretty good parents. You you know, our, our peers and other friends, family members would tell us that we were good parents of our kids. And we felt like we had um, some some margin to share that with with kiddos and families that weren't in our in our direct family. Like I like I mentioned with our my Casa kiddo, 
we had this blindside picture that the kid's going to come in and they're going to find safety and then they're just going to like mesh into our family and we'll welcome in their biological parents and that'll play out in some really beautiful way. And sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't and that it was just beyond my control. And I remember laying in bed after one really explosive afternoon uh, with our Casa Kiddo and and man, we, we had a lot of support during that time too. Like everybody knew that this would be a really challenging placement. I think we had 30 hours of in-home um, support where somebody would come into our house and like hang out with us and help us. When the placement disrupted, I just remember feeling like I literally have done everything in my human ability to stay committed to this and it still wasn't enough. So I remember laying in bed with my husband one night and just saying, well, I guess we just suck it up for the next couple of years and we live like this. And my husband looked at me and he said, no, we don't. That was a rough moment where your limits as a human come up with your best intentions. And you have to try to make sense of that. And I think those are some of the moments that can come to come to be breaking points. And uh, for us, our faith is a primary motivator for why we do foster care. And I was so thankful to have my faith that said that there are so many things that are outside of my control that I want to show up. I want to show up to the best of my ability. And I've got work to do in order to do that. But sometimes there are things that are outside of my control and I have to be able to release those and not like white knuckle them just to make it work to the detriment of my own mental health or to the detriment of my marriage or my relationship with my biological kids. But I really struggle with that because I wanted to love this girl that was with us like I would love my own kids. I think about that a lot. Actually, in one of your former podcasts, I remember the person that you were interviewing was talking about how she felt like she was treated differently than other kids in the home. And that's my perception of foster care, like, you know, 20, 30 years ago that these kids would just like come into the home, but they didn't get to eat the same things as the other kids or um, didn't get the same kind of treatment. And I loved this. I, I wanted to love this girl in the same way that I love my biological daughter. And while, you know, her behaviors triggered me enough that, that sometimes that connection was really hard and I wasn't able to do that. And then I felt guilty about that. You know, it was like this perpetual cycle but I still felt committed, like, man, I would never even think if my biological daughter was really struggling, I wouldn't ever think, well, she can't live with us now. So I don't have great answers to <laughs> the things that I'm sharing about right now. What I, what I will say is I'm committed to stay in the tension of it and recognizing that it's not my job to be a savior. It's my job to show up. Natasha, I think that this is a powerful moment and a powerful story that we hear from Cleo because I think that we learn the most about a person when they're transparent. And I think that's truly what our podcast is about is to hear these vulnerable moments, what worked and what didn't, and we use that as a moving forward point. 
What was really powerful for me is that actually after my conversation with Cleo, our first placement also ended up disrupting. And it was a similar situation where we all had the best of intentions. We all wanted it to work and it just couldn't work no matter how hard we were trying. And so just having already had that conversation with Cleo, I was able to rethink back on it and it was able to really provide a lot of support for me and help me not feel so alone in that moment when there was so many emotions swirling around and it can feel very isolating and alone and like a huge failure. And you're feeling alone, you're feeling defeated. What was most powerful and supportive to you during that time? So I was talking to a close friend, shout out to Holly here, um, about our, how our placement had disrupted. And her immediate first question to me was, do you feel like a failure? And I said, yes, of course. I felt like such an utter failure. And I really want to share her response to me. I think it's so powerful. And to any listener right now who is feeling like a failure when it comes to foster parenting or a volunteer situation with a kid in care, let this sort of wash over you. So here's what Holly said. You did your best. You set aside your own comfort. You kept getting up each day and doing the thing. You advocated for well-being, sustainability, and healthy growth. That's not failure. But I think what's also important to note by that, Natasha, is if you view it as a failure, you're then becoming the savior to that child. Right. And that's something that actually really helped me out too, Rachel, in processing our placement disrupting, as you actually called out in me that I had a lot of savior complex around it. Because in the days and weeks afterwards, I was thinking through all the situations and wondering, could I have done something different that would have changed the trajectory of everything? And honestly, in a big way, making myself central to the story and you know, blowing my role right out of proportion. And it was actually really healing for me to hear you say to me, you know, you're having savior complex around this. Like you're expecting yourself to be the savior and to be able to fix and heal everything in the situation. And that's just not realistic. It allowed me to take a step back and think through how I was showing up and these beliefs that were untrue about the situation and then just be more calm about it all overall, honestly, and take a step back and then be able to continue to show up for this kid and in a better way, in a more supportive way, rather than in a way where I'm still trying to push my agenda. And Natasha, I really think that this is a process of continuing to adapt to our situations and to realize where we're having our own biases or are putting on our own projections of situation and taking a step back and realizing how can we do this different. Mm. And as Cleo said, foster parenting is a fork in the road in that it is an invitation to go deeper in improving yourself and your relationships. And what I've discovered too is that in going deeper in these areas, it can be necessary to redefine expectations as well as success. I think that a successful foster parent is somebody that can go with the flow, you know, kind of releasing the expectations that you have about what a quote unquote good parent is or um, or even a safe environment. I remember with one of the placements that we had, um, it was also a baby. And I remember the caseworker telling me that the the kiddo could be returned to mom who was living um, I can't remember if it was in a shelter or in a trailer. Um, and it was Colorado in the winter. And I just remember my mind being blown like, what? <laughs> You're going to return this kiddo 
to, to something like that. And in all honesty, I went back to my own childhood, right? The longing of my heart was to be with my family. That's who knows us. I've seen lots of families that end up thriving because they're together, regardless of where they're at. If there is the opportunity for love and safety, emotional safety, uh, the physical environment can look a lot of different ways. And, and they can look in ways that rub up against my, my privileged white suburban narrative. And that's part of what I've loved about foster care is it helps me to see life from different perspectives. And um, it expands my worldview in really beautiful ways, the ways that I feel like life should look in this little box that equals happiness and security and safety, things that I think we want as humans. Um, It's just been like blown to smithereens as I watch these families come together and thrive together, that a mom who's lost her kids in a really traumatic event come back together at the end and life isn't perfect and easy like they're still working through the challenges of poverty and lack of support but hopefully as a result of our new connection through the foster care system they now have a new support in our family and we have some resources to share with them and we have space for relationship to say if you're in a tight spot call me Let's talk through whatever is going on for you guys and not in a savior way, but in a like, come be a part of our family. We're going to do this together. So I think that's been really beautiful. And it sh- again, it, it took a shift in my narrative to recognize that foster care more often than not does not get tied up with a pretty bow at the end of a case. So many times a kiddo is moved into a kinship placement where... You know, you just kind of wonder, I wonder what that's going to look like. Or uh, you have a family that doesn't want to keep long-term contact. We had one placement that um, showed up and stayed with us for two weeks. And the caseworker called one day and said, um, we're going to pick her up from school. Can you pack up her stuff? I'm going to pick it up before I go get her. And um, she just never came back to our house. And they never came to get that bag. So I just had this bag that I tried to get back to a caseworker and um, you know, I would say that's that's not the norm, but sometimes things just end abruptly and it takes, I think, some really good support systems around us as foster parents and a continued commitment to like self-awareness and identifying emotions like, oh, man, that was really hard. And that that messed with me that I that that relationship just ended so abruptly and I won't get information moving forward. So. I think adaptability is a big part of being a foster parent. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. You kind of have to just roll with <laughs> roll with the punches per se yeah. of the system and and everything else that's going on. What really struck me is how like you're not central to the story, right? There you have all these other pieces and you think, okay, how can I best support or like be that bridge? But the story really is about the kid and about their biological family. So that's really powerful for me to think about. You know, I think that's important to talk about. I think a lot of times what I hear mostly from folks who are not foster parents, but maybe are interested in it, is they always say, I could never do that. I could never let the kids go. And it's just worth stepping into a mess to give some safety and security and some hope to somebody that needs it in the moment. 
I think that's the beauty of foster care is that we're willing to step in and say, this is going to be really hard, not only in the mess, but in the in the grief that I will experience because I'm going to love these other people and I don't get to control what happens at the end of the story, but I still want to say yes to it. So for us, we kind of feel like like we're in for the ride and it's been a very worthwhile ride. I'm really glad you brought that up because that's the first thing that people say to me too, is, you know, you always hear like, oh, I'd get too attached. I couldn't do that. And I want to just say, I haven't found a polite way to say it, but I want to just be like, it's not like the people who do it get any less attached. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just have found it to be so interesting that it's almost different with every placement. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are kids that, um, I, I would joke in foster care training, like there were kids that I didn't connect with. Uh, very easily. It took effort to do. And some of them, I was like, okay, thanks for staying. We're glad you were with us, but see ya. <laughs> right, right. No, that makes sense. Yeah. And um, even some of those that when they left, I I found myself experiencing a particular kind of grief that comes along with opening your heart to say, I'm going to stand in the gap for this hard season of life. Mm. And I'm going to try to give you the things that I can to bolster up your who you are as an individual, whether that's the child or the biological family. And then we're going to move on from that. And it's going to look really different. I, I think we really need to honor the grief that comes with each specific experience and not anticipate that they're all going to be the same. There's something really freeing and hopeful about the way that I personally have formed as an individual through each individual experience. That makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I will say too, because as I was going through the foster parenting training, I was listening to different foster parenting podcasts and I would totally judge people who were like, I was so glad that kid left. And now that I've been doing it, this is the first time I think that I've really realized that love is so a choice, right? Like you choose to show up and care regardless of what the reaction is or regardless if, if you see a difference being made or not, it's a choice that you're making, especially for those kids. Cause it is true. Like, you know, you're getting a placement and in a lot of ways it's pretty random. It's a random kid coming into your home. They have their own expectations. They have their own family culture that they come from, which is often very different from your own family's culture. And to just mesh all those personalities of like with your partner and your biological kids as well. I mean, yeah, I think, right. There's some real tension there because I want to jump back to, you know, people saying I could I would get too attached. I could never be a foster parent. In my own story, some of it has been that I had a hard time attaching. And there's some shame that comes with that. I think we need to talk about that as foster parents because we do think I'm going to step into this and I'm going to love these kids. And right, kids are so, so lovable. Hard. Yes. But uh. in reality, when you're up all night and you don't have an uh, an attachment to a kid like you don't feel like I want to be close to you and they're screaming and you're irritated that they're you know maybe you have some judgment against the parents based on what whatever brought them into care that's real and and it can make attachment really hard so I think we need to talk more as foster parents about um, it's not all love and roses and like I just am gonna love up this kid and and then it's going to be awful when I have to send them out. It's not always like that. And while we want it to move in that direction, that's my own personal work that I have to work out. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't be a foster parent. I think, it, oh, 
at the end of the day, foster care is not about us. Man, the number of times we just have to say that in our daily lives as we parent, right? Mm -hmm, This is mm -hmm. not about me right now. In some ways, it is really about me as I'm able to show up as a parent. I remember one specific night, the teenager that we cared for, she was sick. And I remember her telling me, you treat Lucy differently than you treat me. And I'm sick right now. When she's sick, you treat her differently than you treat me. And I remember it felt like a punch in the stomach. And at the same time, I could see what she was saying. So it was one of those times that um, caused me to slow down and think, what is that about? And what changes can I make? Even though it, it doesn't feel great that I had to think about how to practically love her uh, while she was sick. That was a reality for me. No, I think that's such a good point you made too about, um, yeah, sometimes you don't get attached as as quickly or maybe as much as you think that you should and the judgment that does come with that. Because how have you sort of worked through that in your own life, either in terms of what are some things that you've been able to I guess practice in terms of if a kid's in your home and you're not feeling that attachment or was it just a different mindset change? Well, for me, I wish I had something like really eloquent to say about it, but it was a lot of conscious choices. Even sitting here, I can picture kiddos that were just really hard and I had to say, I need to just sit on the couch and put my arm around this kiddo and read a book with them. And it did not come naturally out of this very nurturing, loving place. It was a choice. This child needs this, and I have the ability to do it, so I'm going to do that. Simultaneously, I would say that's taken me on this journey of like, why can I not do that? What is there something that I need to pay attention to from my own development that is causing that to be so challenging for me? Um. So I, I've been really thankful for for those challenging kiddos um, because I, I think that's just where growth happens, right? When we're pushed up to our limits, uh, we get to decide, are we going to to jump in and and look at those limits or are we going to say, no, that's good. I'm, I'm pretty content where I'm at right now. And both of those things are fine. I think there are seasons of life that we choose both of them. But foster care... Um, definitely has the ability to poke at those uncomfortable edges of um, like, why am I not attaching? Why don't I feel an affection for this kids? And sometimes in all honesty, it's not even that deep, right? We don't love everybody we come into contact with. I remember hearing it really early on. I think it was maybe Dr. Dan Siegel. Um, If you've read any of his books, I highly recommend Whole Brain Child or he wrote one called Yes Brain. Anyways, little plugs for foster parents. I think it was him that that used the phrase to mention the unmentionable. And um, that has been a phrase that I carry both with the biological parents. Like, I feel really uncomfortable to talk about their situation, but they don't necessarily. Like, this is the realities of their life. I, you know, I also think about the the phrase that clear is kind. So not trying to skate around the discomfort of, man, you're your kiddos in foster care, and I can imagine that's really hard. And you have all these demands to get to court and find a job and find a house. And is your relationship healthy and safe enough for your kid to come home? Like, I, I just felt a, a freedom to jump in directly and say, uh, you know, let's let's address these things head on. So mentioning the unmentionable, I think, has been a freedom um, both in my own um transformation, I guess is the word I would use, as I think about 
why can't I attach to a kiddo? And mentioning the unmentionable um, as I interact with parents, just to just to show like we're not trying to hide things. Let's actually talk about the realities of life right now and and work through those together. That reminds me a lot, too, about grief Mm -hmm. and how if you really want to show up for someone in grief, which, of course, all these kids being removed from their families have levels of grief is, yeah, to be able to mention it and name it and just even like sit with someone in it because there isn't a solution, right, for a lot of these things. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, especially, too, I could imagine, you know, having a kid in your home that's very difficult to attach to. Yeah, there isn't like, it's not like you can just be like, I'll follow these three steps and Mm -hmm. automatically I'll feel the love, right? Especially um, that we do just teenagers. So teenagers already have a push-pull inherent within them Mm -hmm. and then in that development stage, right? So it can be really hard sometimes especially when like they're pushing away all sorts of like nurturing that you're trying to give them. Like it can be very difficult to connect with certain kids. I think it's hard in the moment when we're parenting those things like, oh, come on, stop doing that. I'm I'm here. Right. Right. Yeah. But in the everyday, you know, so much just happens inside of us like this autopilot ways that we show up in the world for survival techniques that when we're parenting it, I think it's so important for us to remember um, you know, back to the phrase we already used earlier, like this is not about me. I, I'm a stand in as a support for this individual who has experienced a really hard thing in a really hard time, like a formative time in life in adolescence, whether they're an infant or a teenager. And so the number of times that I have to that I have to remind myself literally this is not about me. We had uh, one placement that was with us for two years and he came to us at seven years old and they told us that he had oppositional defiance disorder. And uh, that's kind of, you know, young to have that kind of label put on you. Uh, and he was a very, very explosive uh, kiddo, um, which I shared with you from my own history is a real trigger for me. I have a hard time engaging um, and he gave me lots of opportunities to practice. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. yeah. A lot of his trauma had come from his relationship with his mom. And he did not have a lot of respect for women. And so this kiddo would, uh, especially when he would get angry with me, he would call me. <laughs> That's like what he called me. Now, I'll tell you, um, we we don't swear a lot in our house. And my kids were like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> He calls you that a lot, mom. Um, and uh, they, those were specific times that I literally would take a breath and be like, okay, this is not about me. And I didn't always do great at that. Sometimes I really took offense at it and it made me cry. Um, and, you know, we'd have to work through that process. But I'll never forget. It was, I want to say, maybe nine months into him living with us. And he called me Mama Kaleo after a while. And uh, we got into an argument and, you know, did our normal dance through the argument. And we got to the end of it and we're like, okay, are we good? We're good. And he looked at me and goes, Mama Kaleo, I didn't call you a this time. And we high fived and like went our separate ways. And it was just so funny um, how when we're able to step to the side and remind us, in the midst of our own stuff, like filling us and our natural responses wanting to come out and say, you can't treat me that way. That's a disrespectful way to treat anybody. Can't you see that I'm just here to love you? (laughs) Right. Um, 
to, to push all of that a little bit to the side and say, I still see you and you're still safe here. In foster care training, we went through this concept called the um, emotional container. And it's this picture of this parent that's like got his arms wrapped around a big wide circle and the kids like flailing around inside of this big circle. And the idea that I am not going to be perfect by any means, but I want to be the safe place that you can work out your big traumas, your big emotions, and I'm still going to be here at the end. And we have lots of those repetitions, but that's the invitation and healing towards hope where these kids don't have to be bound by the stigma of being in foster care or the challenges that come from, um, you know, from their past with their biological families, that there's hope for every individual within this system to, to have movement in the direction that will help, that will allow them towards freedom and, and living a healthy, hopeful life. I think that that feels like worthy work to be a part of. Natasha, I really wanted to focus in and talk about connection because connection doesn't always come easy. And I really experienced that when I first became a mentor to kids in care. I had to go through this long application process. It was a long process to get matched to be a mentor. And so I remember when I was finally matched, I was so excited. I went up to her house and knock on the door and I find out that she's ran away. And I just felt so sad because in my mind, I had built up this connection that we were going to have. And I just felt so defeated and sad in that moment. Rachel, that's a good reminder that the connection that we imagine we'll have in our heads is often not the type of connection we end up having. Not to say it can't develop into something really strong and beautiful over time, um, but it doesn't always come easy like Kaleo was talking about. And I think, too, this underscores the importance of kids in care having multiple connections to mentors and volunteers and people outside the home that they're placed in as well. And something that you and I both experienced firsthand being sisters is how our parents really struggled to find community as we were growing up. And as a result of that, we didn't really have a strong community of adults in our lives. Yeah, that's a great point, Natasha. You know, our father was in the military, and so we moved around. And so I think that just became hard because it was consistently restarting. Then on the other hand, you know, our mom being an immigrant, some of her family's overseas, some of hers is in the U.S. And so we're trying to struggle to connect with American culture while also, you know, still having the Middle Eastern culture. And so we kind of had all these battles against us of creating connection and creating that community. Right. And... That's something that I wanted to change when I became a parent myself, so much so that my partner and I even moved cities right before we became licensed foster parents because we wanted to move closer to our families and some really long-term family friends that we felt like could be a huge support for us as we stepped into our foster parenting journey. And it's made a massive difference. And I think that really underscores how parenting successfully without a community really just seems impossible. This season of Just as Special is brought to you by Kids Crossing, a private foster care agency created by foster parents for foster parents. So, Natasha, foster parenting is no walk in the park. But what do you think is one thing that makes it a lot easier? 
A home coordinator, hands down, is my answer. And I actually got the chance to sit down with my own home coordinator, Nicole Barnett, from Kids Crossing. And she shared how Kids Crossing supports their foster families. I absolutely love my job, the people that I work with, and the culture that we have at Kids Crossing. We are not just a child placement agency. We are so much more. You develop this relationship with your families and really get to know them on a deeper level. And you become almost an extension of the family. And you very much feel that coming from Kids Crossing as well. The support that, that Kids Crossing gives to families is more than just, oh, here, I'm going to you know, make sure you're following the rules and we're going to file this paperwork. And great, we placed a kid in your home. It, you know, around the holidays, we will do a huge holiday party and we will get make sure that kids are getting gifts and make sure the family is supported as well. Um, this last year with COVID was pretty rough. And so we were sending like Grubhub gift cards. We were sending care packages from Amazon with arts and crafts and coloring books or puzzles or games to families to trying to find things that maybe didn't need a lot of parental support or supervision where the kids could just do it on their own to hopefully give a break. We support our families in so many ways throughout the year. When a family gets a placement, if they need assistance with clothing or shoes or anything like that, we have had so many amazing donors that have given us items that we can then pass along to the family. Clothing, like all of that stuff adds up. And so whatever we can do to help support our families, Kids Crossing is doing. Wow, that's truly a lot. I can see how that all adds up. Right. And I can tell you from personal experience that Kids Crossing is truly supportive of their foster parents as well as diverse foster families. So what are you waiting for? Kids Crossing has four locations across Colorado in Denver, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, and La Junta. Learn more at kidscrossing.com and tell them just a special sent you. I could just picture myself in this situation and being in the exact same scenario as the parents of this child that I'm caring for currently. That if any one of us got thrown into crisis and, and didn't have resources to ask for help, the idea of community that your life impacts mine and my life impacts yours, whether we know each other or not, hopefully down the road, if they're in a similar situation, they now have a, a, a face that comes to mind and a literal phone number to call to say, I'm in a really tight spot and I don't want to lose my kids back into the system. Can you support me through this? It can make a difference. And I go back to my own story, right? When I moved out at 18, I literally needed somebody to show up for me. Can you answer your phone and let me sleep on your couch? And in some ways, that's what foster care is. It's it's the safe place to come and to join into a community to say, I care about your life. Um, I'm rooting for you. And let's do this together. Sometimes I, I hesitate sharing these stories because I, I never want to be the hero in every story within foster care. But but there are some moments that are worth celebrating, I think, that um, that baby that returned home on Christmas Day, our first placement, um, we still have contact with them. And uh, I think it was about a year after she returned home, the apartment below where they were living caught on fire. And she called me before she even called the police. Wow. Like in this frantic my life's going down the tubes. My my apartment is literally on fire right now. What do I do? And I said, hang up the phone and call the police <laughs> and then call me back. 
But I can just imagine a year before that, you know, they lost their kiddo in foster care. Their kiddo transitioned into foster care and came to live with us. And they didn't have anybody to make that phone call to to say, I'm in crisis and I need some help. Can you help me with my kid? And now they did. And that just feels like a win. That's a win for us because we love them and we wanted to support them. We loved Faith was is her name, the little girl that we cared for and wanted continued relationship. And everybody was open to that. Um, so I think it's just a beautiful picture of the opportunity we have as foster parents to um, to live a full, beautiful life. And it is messy, but it's also so beautiful and worth it. I think it is really important to celebrate those moments. It really is. And can you give us some concrete examples too of like how you've been able to support that family throughout the year? Like after, after she called you and is like, my apartment's on fire, did they come stay with you for a little bit as their, as their apartment was getting repaired? Or what are some of those ways that you've been able to continue to be a support to them? So for them particularly, we had helped them get into that apartment actually. So <laughs> it was a real bummer, man, on so many levels when, um, when they lost that, but we were able to step in and, um, I think we took Faithy for a couple of days. Um, she just stayed with us and she would come over and have sleepovers so that mom and dad could just have some time by themselves often. You know, it was a lot of really mundane things like quick phone calls, me just calling to check in and say, Hey, I'm thinking about you today. I just wanted you to know, I, I just really like you. You're doing a great job as a mom. Keep going. There was another family of kids that we cared for where mom ended up having to go to court to testify against one of one of the dads of her kids and she called me and just said hey can you just come and sit in court and support me while I try to fight for my kids and what's best for them that just felt like such an honor to to be trusted into some of those really hard places that I can imagine I would feel shame if I if I had to open up the story of my life and the trauma that came in her particular story to somebody else for her to feel safe enough to say, can you just sit with me in this mess? It was a real honor. So, you know, I think it looks different with every family. And there have been times that the way that that we honor those families and come alongside them is by giving them their space as much as we would have loved to have kept um, contact and relationship. Sometimes these families have just said like, man, this has been a lot and thank you for what you did, but we need to move on from this. In our very first placement, um, we took placement of a brand new little baby came straight from the hospital. We were not able to have contact with the biological parents right away. Um, for safety concerns. And as a first time foster parent, that's a little scary, right? <laughs> And the time came when um, it was kind of put in our in our court from our caseworker to say, do you want to have contact with these folks? And I just remember feeling like, yes, that's why we're in this. Um, you know, of course, these parents, I just had a perception that these parents, anybody that would that would lose their child in foster care uh, is probably really anxious. And I just really wanted to have direct connection with these individuals to let them know that their child was safe. And um, I was really looking forward to that, like direct interaction where we got to put names and faces together and um, to just let them know, like, hey, we're just people like you and we're stepping in a gap. 
um, for you in a time that you need it. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful because I think sometimes people have a very idealized view of foster care, right? And then they're like, I'm going to step in, I'm going to save the day. And you're like, no, we're just here really standing in the gap. Can you talk more about that? Because you have described foster parenting to me when we were talking earlier about how it really is about standing in the gap. Absolutely. So I know that um, lots of foster parents come into this role for various reasons. Um, For my husband and I, we knew early on that we um, really had a heart for fostering and not necessarily adoption, although we were always open to kind of whatever that journey might look like. Um, And so we found that as we communicated with the parents of the children that we were caring for, that we were not like an adoption, an adoptive option, that it lowered the intensity. Um, They didn't feel like oh, here's these professional parents that are coming in and they're going to take my kid from me. Um, But we were able to communicate to these parents, hey, life's really hard right now. And um, and you need somebody to stand in in a way that you can do what you need to do and feel safe that your kid is going to come back to you. Even though that's not my decision to make, we're supporting you in that effort 100 percent. And I think the cool thing for us, we're eight years into fostering right now. And um, I think that that perspective has presented an opportunity for us to have long term contact with our with our foster kids and their families. We have um, one of our placements that they come back. They live out of state now and they come back and visit us every summer. And um, it's just created some really, really great long term relationships. Um with families. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you've brought up community now several times. Can we dig into that a little more? We don't have family in the area and uh, we have challenging relationships with our family. Um, So building a support system that we knew um, would be there for us when we asked. One of my favorite stories uh, as it pertains to community is uh, some friends of ours that were a, a huge support. Actually, we share a backyard. We bought a house close to each other um, and we share a backyard that has a gate. We go back and forth and they're just another safe place um, for our entire family. But particularly when our Casa kid lived with us and she would, her behaviors would get really intense. We could send our kids through the backyard and, um, and know that our kids were in, in a safe place while we tried to work out some of the things with our Casa kiddo. Um, But with that very first placement um, that we had, Little Faith, as a baby, um, I told you we left on a road trip. And um, my good friend Angie uh, let herself in through the garage while we were gone. And, oh, this still makes me choke up. She went through all of our laundry and took out all the onesies and socks and things from the baby and washed them and put them into a bin for us. And I just felt so loved and seen knowing that I would come home from a trip after this really hard trauma of of reuniting kiddo back with her parents and doing the mundane task of laundry and the idea of finding a little sock or a onesie and that she thought, oh, I'm going to help out with that. Just having friends that or family members that can kind of predict some of those things for you and step in without your permission all of the time. Um, I think is really important. I think that combined with having friends um, who are foster parents uh, that you don't have to qualify and justify 
the frustrations that you're experiencing or, you know, uh, it, having a safe and free space to just like lay it all out there. This is what it is and, and know that they totally get what you're saying. Um, I think that's been really important. Um, so a support group, I think, is a really good idea for especially for new foster parents, but for any foster parent to have kind of a good venting place, um, whether that be about the system of foster care or or your individual placement. I know a lot of times the parents who start going through the class to become certified don't actually end up certified. Can you talk about some of the reasons why they aren't so people can start thinking our listeners, maybe if they're involved in becoming a foster parent, you know, is it is it actually a good time for me? Will I be able to do this successfully? Because I think we touched a lot on a lot of challenges mm-hmm. that there are and how important it is that if you're going into this, that you are really considering everything. It's a really good question. And I think in pre-service foster parent training, it's this delicate balance of setting the stage that's welcome to anybody to step into and being really honest about what it's what's what's involved in being a foster parent so that you're not setting yourself up for failure in all honesty even when we went through foster parent training um based on my history and my husband's history through the home study process we got to the end of it and our and our agency said i don't know there's like a 50/50 chance that we might recommend that maybe you do some counseling first before you become a foster parent and we were really open to that because there can just become so much trauma when a child moves into your home. And then if it doesn't work out, especially if it's because of my inability to to show up for that kid, that's another trauma that's added on to what likely you've already experienced that brought you to that place. Right. So um, I think some some things to think about, you know, a lot of a lot of people, myself included, thought. Um, with infertility, that foster care might be uh, an option that made sense. And a lot of times, I think it can be. However, foster parenting is so different because even as an infant, a child has experienced a bonding with an individual that's not you. And so, um, you know, it, it can have complications in in attachment and connection, even for an infant, uh, for a child that comes through foster care rather than having a child biologically. And so I, I don't think by any means that if you're experiencing infertility, you shouldn't consider foster care or adoption. But it's a worthy question to con- to consider, like, am I doing that to to fill the place of what it would be like to be a biological parent? Mm-hmm. There, there should be some distinction there. So um, I'm not sure that we talk about that enough Um, and probably for good reason. It's such a delicate topic. Uh, I really want to honor that um, because so many families do come into foster care through, um, you know, challenges in fertility. So um, I think that's one thing. And then um, a lot of the things I think we we touched on already, the ability to um, have some self-awareness around talking about emotions. Um, I've seen that be a real challenge for some some individuals who feel like, why do I need to talk about things that are, you know, gush, gushy and emotional? Um, but so much of development um, in kids 
uh, has to do with identifying how you're feeling and the difference between that and what you're thinking and and how you're thinking and feeling equals behaviors that, you know, a lot of these kids have behaviors that we consider to be so challenging, but it's really just the way that they've been able to survive in the world that's helped keep them alive in their state of fight, flight, or freeze. If we as individuals are uncomfortable with or or can't talk about or identify our own emotions, um, it's really challenging to teach that to somebody else um, if we can't do it ourselves. So I think that's something important to think about. Um, and then again, I just think a huge piece of it is flexibility. So I've had those talks with myself too of like, all right, in order for this to be good for everybody and the whole family, like you're going to have to really work on yourself. So what are some of those ways you felt that you were able to work through that? And I think especially too with trauma, right? We all carry traumas. I had trauma from my own childhood that I brought into this as well. And foster parenting, I think really just magnifies all those little wounds that you have, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so big. And yeah, I definitely feel the same right now in my own life. How are you able to kind of move past that? Maybe not past, but through it in a way that you feel like, you know, now you've been foster parenting for years afterwards. So I think I've experienced a lot of healing in my life while I learned in foster care training how to parent a kid that's come from trauma. And then I like applied those to me. Mm, so you almost like parented yourself, which is yeah. called like reparenting. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I, I guess I want to mention, because it's on my mind right now, it's on my mind a lot. This feels like a good depiction of life for me. It's been a journey for me to learn how to have fun. And the healing and hope that comes with some levity, I I, I tend to to be drawn towards really serious things. And I, I have a longing to sit in hard places with people. That part actually comes a lot easier to me than looking at my kid and just being silly or um, finding a, a ridiculous show on TV in the midst of what I feel like is a really busy schedule and just sitting and laughing with them to connect. Um, you know, the connection largely has come out of me choosing to have fun. And that sounds so silly, but that's part of the beauty that the foster kids bring or that I would say that kids bring to, to the world, right? Mm. Is the beauty of enjoying each other's company and finding um, fun in the everyday life. So whether that's singing in the kitchen while you're doing the dishes or from time to time, you have some sort of awareness that shows you Make the most of this moment. It's lighthearted and beautiful, and it it moves our relationship in the direction of trusting each other. Um, a lot of that comes through having fun. I guess I would add that into the work that I that I have been trying to do. Um, just lighten up, man. Foster parenting has been a really fun way for me to relive some childhood joys and also discover things that we both enjoy doing. Um, so I am really passionate about plants. I have so many house plants, and then I also have a garden outside in the spring and summer. 
So that's been something fun to share with kids and care in my home. And, you know, just going to the plant store and looking at all the different types and being able to touch and feel them is fun for a lot of kids or helping me water the garden and learning about the different fruits and vegetables that we're growing or, you know, tasting some of the tomatoes um, can be really fun for both of us. I love that. And I hope that you guys loved our episode just as much as we did. And special thank you to our guest, Kaleo George. That's a wrap. We just couldn't fit all the amazing things Cleo had to say within this episode. So we're going to be releasing a bonus mini episode in two weeks about Cleo talking about each of her three kids' reactions to foster care. And we also want to invite you guys to take action today, whether that's following us on our Facebook page or Instagram at Just As Special. You can also virtually volunteer with us and you can learn more about that at justaspecial.com slash volunteer or ask your employer to partner with us and you can find more information about that at justaspecial.com slash partner. We're so thankful for our community of supporters that makes Just As Special possible. This season of Just as Special is brought to you by Kids Crossing, a private foster care agency created by foster parents for foster parents. So Rachel, I've mentioned before on our podcast what an amazing support our home coordinator, Nicole Barnett, has been to my family on our foster care journey. Yes, tell us a little bit more. What does that look like for you all? Well, Nicole and I actually got the chance to sit down and chat about her role. So I'll let you hear from Nicole herself. So... My role as a home coordinator, it can be so many things. I wear many hats. Part of my job is to make sure that the foster parents are following state and county rules, also to be a support. So be that shoulder to cry on, be the sounding board when foster care gets really rough, which it does, um, when the kids are making me crazy, or even just be there to encourage and support in whatever way I can, letting you know you guys are doing an amazing job. Filing all the fun paperwork, keeping files on the kids, finding those resources for kids when they need certain and specific things, whether it's therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy, and extracurriculars too, because that's important as a kid to have sports to play or gymnastics or arts and crafts, things like that. I think the big thing that resonates with me is, so our founder, Jan, something her and her husband would say was, keep your eye on the child if everything else will fall into place. And that is kind of how I see my role is you as the foster parent, keep your eye on the kid and I will make sure everything else is covered. It's great to hear that we have people like Nicole supporting kids in care and their families. I couldn't agree more with you. And Nicole has even physically shown up at our home during difficult times. And she's just been an incredible support. Kids Crossing has four locations across Colorado and Denver. Colorado Springs, Pueblo, and La Junta. Learn more at kidscrossing.com and tell them just a special sent you. This episode is supported by Christina Whiteley, realtor with Fabulous Homes Colorado, powered by Keller Williams Freedom. So Rachel, we actually moved into a bigger home right before we started foster care to get more space, and we are sure glad we did. It's made a huge difference. Natasha, tell me about Fabulous Homes Colorado. Well, Fabulous Homes Colorado specializes in helping first-time homebuyers and veterans find the right fit for their families from cute condos to luxury homes. What parts of Colorado do they serve? 
So they serve El Paso County, Woodland Park, and Pueblo. And what I've noticed most about Christina is that she truly cares about the community and not just with lip service. So if you want a realtor that truly values relationships over transactions, give Christina a call at 719-310-4347 and tell her just a special sent you. You can also learn more about Christina and Fabulous Homes Colorado on our website, justaspecial.com. Each office is independently owned and operated. 